0: Well, praise the Lord, amen. amen? Amen. What a joy and a privilege it is to take refuge in our mighty fortress. And what a joy and privilege it is to open up his holy and inspired word. So I invite you to do that now. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be looking at one verse today, and that's verse 15. Genesis three fifteen you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. Actually, let's read from 14 and 15. This is the only inerrant and infallible part of this morning. Uh, the reading of God's word. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. This is God's word. And Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than any of the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now our verse for today. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together to be instructed by your holy and inspired word. It is truly a privilege, and we just, we're just we just so grateful. We're grateful to be together. We're grateful to be under the authority of your word, and we're grateful to be saved by your son. So be with us today. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I hope you're all having a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. I hope you've had the opportunity to express your gratitude to the Lord for the wonderful grace of having Godly women in general in your lives. Seeing many of the godly women in our body here, I'm always reminded of Paul's letter to Timothy where he makes special mention of the example of faith he had both in his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. These women have been immortalized on the pages of holy and inspired Scripture as a testimony to the internal impact a godly woman can have not only on her own children, But indeed, on generations to come, we are deeply, deeply grateful for the mothers and grandmothers of Lakewood Bible Chapel. And I'll just confess, until last week, I didn't even know it was Mother's Day. For months, I had fully intended on preaching the curse of the woman today, the pain in childbirth, (laughs) the desire to lord over their husbands, Um, but I... I thought, uh, you know, we'll save that for next week with the sentencing <laughs> of the man and the serpent. Actually, this is a great text, even for the mothers here this morning. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we could have a better passage for our time together today. I, I believe a closer examination of this one verse will be of great benefit to us all, perhaps especially to the mothers and grandmothers with us, as it deals directly with the woman whom Adam, in verse 20, names Eve. He names her Eve because she was, quote, the mother of all the living. The mother of all the living? Hmm. Interesting language. More on that in a moment. Before we dive into this 15th 15th verse, though, and for this first point, I just want to remind you that this woman, soon to be named Eve, was seduced by the serpent, another of the main characters of our text today, the great dragon of Revelation chapter 20, the serpent of old, the serpent who we talked about in depth a few weeks ago, the serpent who, as we continue to read the rest of the book, the rest of God's holy and inspired revelation will be revealed to be none other than Satan himself, okay? Now, if you can remember, we said that the serpent here in the garden uh, before verse 14 may not have been the scaly snake we're all so familiar with today. Rather, this was very likely a beautiful and attractive and alluring reptilian creature, a beautiful creature who may very well have been standing upright uh, at this point in, in time, but one who was used by Satan and dwelled by Satan and to accomplish a specific purpose, namely, to thwart the allegiance of the crown of Elohim's creative work, this man and this woman who were made in God's image. The devil's goal, uh, through this alluring serpent, was to usurp the authority of God. In fact, it was to assume the position of Yahweh himself, as this once powerful angel sought to raise his throne above the stars of God. You remember that? Isaiah 14, we looked at that. The King James Version says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You who said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Well, when that didn't happen, when he was instead cast out of heaven, thrown down to the earth in divine judgment, when it became clear that he, in fact, had no power or ability to overthrow the sovereign God Almighty, he then set his sights on the people of God Almighty. Okay, He set his sights on his people, and thus we have his appearing to this woman in the garden, seducing her, tempting her, deceiving her by not only appealing to the lustful desires of both her body and her eyes, but also by convincing her that if she partook in this forbidden fruit, she herself would be like the Most High, knowing good and knowing evil. I mean, it didn't work for him, but if he could just get her to buy the lie, first by twisting, then by outright denying the word of God, by slandering the character of God, if he could just persuade her to believe that a truly good God would never withhold such a good fruit, a good knowledge from this good woman and her good husband. Why, he may even have the ability to get to the man. The man who was the federal head and representative of all mankind. He may be able, may be able to get the man to eat of the fruit himself and subsequently die. Make no mistake now, this was a premeditated attempted murder here. Satan knew darn good and well that Yahweh God told Adam from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. He knew this. And yet with all the manipulative charm of a modern day TV evangelist he says, now come on woman. You will not surely die. Go ahead. Name it. Claim it. Reach out. Grab it. Bite it. You take what's yours. You deserve it. God wants you to be happy. You live your best life now, girl. You get what you deserve. (laughs) Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food that it was a delight to the eyes; that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And immediately, they both live. Yeah, physically. But they die spiritually. And in what had to be an absolute blow to the remaining ego and pride of Satan, God then begins to unfold his gracious plan of redemption, notice, even before the sentencing of this man and this woman. That's what I want to emphasize here, the grace and mercy and love of our Lord, who would have been absolutely justified in killing these two people and sending their souls to an eternal hell the very moment they sinned against him. But instead... Instead, here in this very verse, he would make a promise of restoration, reconciliation of sinful mankind to himself, to all who would be granted life, life, eternal life from the dead, and all through the seed of a woman, okay? And what we see here is the genesis of this process, Uh, a prophecy of this divine plan of redemption right here in in verse 15. It's a monumentally significant verse, and one that I'm hoping we'll have a greater appreciation for after today. Notice it starts out uh, with the two words, I will. Uh, Again, right from the get-go, we're we're told who's actually in charge here. Almost as if God is saying, okay, Satan, you got over on her. You seduced her. You you deceived her. And and she did just what you thought she would do and hoped she would do. She gave it to the man. He listened to her voice. He ate. You got them both. The the woman listened to the serpent. Adam listened to the woman. Not a one of you listened to me. But lest you forget, O son of the morning, I am the one who is truly sovereign over all. So hear this. Not only are you serpent, going to be forced to crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, a curse which we still see today, by the way, one that should remind us of Satan's humiliation every time we see a snake. More on that next week. Not only is this serpent cursed, but the one who indwelled the serpent. Satan is cursed. He just bought himself a lifetime of enmity, strife, and warfare with the woman. I will put... He says, I will sheath, is the word, I will set, I will make, I will cause there to be enmity between you and the woman. Now, we know you hated her. You wanted to see her die. You made her think you were all buddy-buddy, like you had her best in mind. And then you, doing what you do best as the father of lies, tempted her to disobey and subsequently be, uh, to be separated from both her Uh, her husband and her creator. But now, Yahweh says, I will put enmity between her and you, you and her, between you and this woman. She didn't hate you before. She should have, but she didn't know you like I know you. She was tricked. She was beguiled. She was deceived, but now she's going to know your true character, and you've just gained another enemy. You will be at war with her you will still be at war with her. She will now be at war with you. That's what this means. That's what this word means. I will put enmity, again, strife, struggle, warfare, turmoil, conflict between you and the woman. Someone says, well, wait a minute here. Uh, God, the author of enmity? Enmity? God, the originator of this animosity, this lifelong resentment and battle which still rages on today, what's happening here? Why all of a sudden do we see God sovereignly putting enmity between these two creatures? Answer, because he is just. He is just. And he is righteous. He is altogether good. His nature is one of perfect, infinite justice. And the sentencing of the serpent, my brothers and sisters, is, is the first unfolding of his righteous decrees which says that evil and sin must be punished. It must be punished. The point is this. uh, God was not unaware of what happened in the garden area. He wasn't caught off guard. In fact, in ways we can't understand, nor will I even attempt to explain this morning, this was all a part of his divine plan. Yes, including the strife, the enmity between the serpent, the devil, and the woman. Not only strife between Satan and Eve in particular, but also, as we see in the next few words, already point four in your outline, uh, the seeds of the devil and the seed of the woman. Now, the mention of seeds here, it's going to take some closer examination. The seed of the devil, the seed of the woman, neither of them has seed, right? Physically speaking, Seminally speaking, only Adam has that seed. All of natural humanity on earth will emerge from his seed, which will go into her egg and produce little baby Adams and Eves, right? This is basic, basic <laughs> common sense stuff, right? Basic anatomy, basic biology. In this day and age, I guess it's not so basic anymore. But we're going to take the common sense approach here and ask... Okay, then who is the seed of the serpent? Surely it's not a reference to the many serpents and snakes to come, right? Little snakes. And it can't be the literal physical seed of Satan. Satan doesn't have offspring. Someone says, well, what about demons? Well, he's not the father of demons. I mean, not through procreation. And he didn't have the ability to create demons on his own. Same for Eve, right? She doesn't have the ability within herself to procreate, to produce offspring. So what is this seed referring to? Who then is the seed of the woman? Well, for an answer to that question, we have to keep reading, right? We must keep reading. Not only the immediate context where I believe Moses talks about the seed in general terms, the seed of the serpent and the woman, their offsprings, Their offspring or descendants in general, but also the seed specific, as we see. He, singular, shall bruise you on the head, Satan, and you, Satan, shall bruise him on the heel. Yahweh God says to the serpent and dwelling devil, even Before sentencing the man and woman in this garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Satan and Eve, then the general, and between your seed, general, and her seed, general, then the specific. He, specific, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him, specific, on the heel." Now, before we dive into this, I'm aware there are other interpretations, but they always fall short, always, especially those of rabbis and Jewish scholars who bumble and fumble their way through this prophecy faster than you can say Isaiah 53. (laughs) But let's look at this, take a look at this together, okay? Let's consider these general seeds here first before we get to the specific seed, okay? We know, because we've looked in depth these past few weeks, the fall of man came through one man, right? We've heard Paul himself explain what happened on that fateful fateful day. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All who were descended from Adam, all born of his line, his posterity, his progeny, All who were born of his seed are dead. Right? We're born into this world having inherited his now sinful nature which caused spiritual death and separation from our creator. Originally brought forth, though under the sovereign will of the Lord, by his listening to his wife who fell because of her listening to who? Satan. The serpent. Meaning... Adam was now, spiritually speaking, a child of the devil. A child of wrath, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, right? Spiritually dead in his sin, separated from his creator, along with everyone who had come of his line, naturally speaking. This is what King David meant when he said, in sin my mother conceived me. He wasn't attacking or demeaning his mom there. or or lamenting the act of his conception or anything like that. No, no. This is a nod to his being in the line of Adam at his conception, just as we are all in the line of Adam at our conception. Not only was uh, Adam David's representative in the garden, his federal head, as he was the rest of mankind, but David knew that he was a part of the long line of seminal transmission, which had come... From Adam to his son Seth, to his son, to his son, all the way to Noah, to his son Shem, to his son and his son, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his son and Judah, all the way down to Boaz, to Obed, to Jesse, and then to David, all cursed seed. Again, that cursed seed had its origins in fallen, rebellious man named Adam. Who was ultimately led to rebel against God, again, by listening to his wife, who obeyed the creature, Satan, rather than her creator. Meaning, David, like all of us, was conceived by a corrupted and cursed seed. Excuse me. Was conceived by a corrupted and cursed seed. And was therefore born in sin. Born in In iniquity, born under the wrath of God, born condemned by God already, judged already, Jesus said. Uh, Born into this world of a corrupted, cursed, and condemned seed. Born into this world in that original state of separation, which was brought on initially by the devil in the garden, just like, again, all other men and women who were born from Adam and Eve's line, Adam's line all of natural humanity in their original sinful condition. Therefore, I believe that your seed here in verse 15 refers to the spiritual descendants of Satan. And the her seed there are the spiritual descendants of the woman. Now, how can we possibly know this? Well, we know this because we can go on to read the rest of the story, right? It makes a whole lot more sense when you read the rest of the book. These references to seeds and offspring make a whole lot more sense when you consider the words of Jesus, for example. Like when he was teaching in the temple toward the end of his earthly ministry in John chapter 8. Why don't you turn there now with me? John chapter 8, something this important, you've got to see it in your own Bibles. Don't take my word for it. Everybody should open to John chapter 8. If you're visiting today, you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. We're on page 1440. John chapter 8. And you follow along with me, and you see it for yourself. This is his, his words, not mine. Starting in verse 12. <clears throat> this is right after he's teaching the crowds at the Feast of Booths in Chapter 7. Here he is in the temple treasury speaking to the Jews of his day. Verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We've looked at together his being the light, right? John makes it very clear really throughout his gospel, that Jesus is the light of God come down from heaven. Chapter one, in him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overtake it. Here Jesus says, yeah, I am the light of the world. You follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life, right? So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your witness is not true, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Remember those words now, the Father who sent me. He even tells him in verse 17, even in your law, it has been written that the witnesses of two men is true. That's right, Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19. He goes on, I am he who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you know me, you would also know my father. Now look and listen very closely at verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he was teaching in the temple and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I am going away. You will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You will die... In your sin. Again, like David, like all the Jews Jesus was talking to, all of us who were born in Adam's line were born in sin. We, we know that. We, we, we were all born in sin. Adam died in the garden, and death spread to all men because all sin. Jesus says, Look, if you die in this state, if you die in your current state, you will die in your sin. You understand? And you can't possibly go to where I'm going in that state. He's trying to say this. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Since he has said, Where I am, I am going, you cannot come. They're saying, what is he gonna do? Kill himself? That's the only place we can't go, because that's suicide is reserved for the worst of the worst in. Sheol, it's a compartment completely separate, according to Jewish custom and thought. So they're like, okay, we're, well, we're not, obviously not going to go to that place if he kills himself. But Jesus essentially says, no, you don't get it here. I'm not talking about suicide. This has nothing to do with suicide. Verse 23, he was saying to them, you are from below. That's the earth, the ground, the Adama we looked at back in Genesis 1 and 2. I am from above, from heaven, from God. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. Now listen to this. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay, so all of a sudden we see an exception here an exception to the ultimate consequence of the curse. There's an out here. There's an out here for a certain group of people who will not die in their sins. There's an out here for those who what? Believe. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. On the contrary, if you do believe in me, you will not die in your sins, right? Right? Verse 25. So they were saying to, them, to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. John says, They did not know that he had been speaking to them about the Father, his Father in heaven, the God of all creation. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, I am, he. And I do nothing for myself, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was speaking these things, many believed in him. Meaning, many will not die. Verse 31 So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, here's how you know if you truly believe. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will make you free. Then the Jews, the original Jews, including the Pharisees he was going back and forth with, answered, we are Abraham's seed and have never been enslaved to anyone. Enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, first of all, that's a lie. Because they were under Roman occupation as they stood there making that claim. But Jesus wasn't talking about physical or temporal freedom. He was talking about spiritual and eternal freedom. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave to sin. He's a slave to sin. And the slave does not not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So... If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. That's spiritual. That's eternal. Now watch this, verse 37. This is key here. Stay with me now. I know that you are Abraham's seed, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard From your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are of Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. The second time in verse 38. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, a knock on his mom by the way. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. So first they say we are of Abraham's seed. We're not slaves here. Okay? We're, we're the chosen people of God. We have the oracles, the law, the temple, the prophets. We're not enslaved to other people. I mean, except Rome. I mean, even their leaders would confess, we have no king but Caesar, right? And Jesus says, I know you are of Abraham's seed Physically, natural descendants. You are Jews from birth. You're Jews outwardly. I know you were born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's line. Abraham, the son of Tara. Tara, the son of Nahor, all the way back to Seth and Adam. I know that. I know you are of Abraham and, and therefore Adam's seed, but you are not like Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed the word of God and the promises of God. He believed the truth. He had true faith, which you lack, and he was justified or declared righteous, delivered from sin's power and consequences before God based on that faith. But you, you do not believe as Abraham believed. You do not believe the truths that Abraham believed. In fact, you want to kill me because of the truths that Abraham believed. Jesus said, I was sent from the Father whom Abraham believed. And I'm only telling you what the Father says, but you don't hear it because like Adam in the garden, you'd rather hear and obey the words of your father. That's what he's saying. Classic exchange here. The Jews. Abraham is our father. Jesus, no, no, no. Abraham is not your father. You're not doing the deeds of Abraham. The Jews, okay ne- okay, then, never mind. Forget Abraham. We actually have one father, God, Theos. Jesus says in verse 42, wrong again. <laughs> if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, not from Adam. Not from Adam's line, but from God, still born of a woman, Galatians 4:4, 4, 4, still proceeding forth from the seed of a woman, <clears throat> still a descendant of a woman, the offspring of a woman, but ultimately, <clears throat> excuse me, from God. Jesus said, "I have not even come of myself, but He sent me. He sent me." God's seed, not Adam's implanted in the woman through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew one twenty three, quoting Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. Finally, he tells these unbelieving Jews for a third and fourth time who their father really is and straight up in verse 43. And in doing so, gives us what I believe is the clear explanation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what he says. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 47 he'll say, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Bam is right. See, it's only when you read the rest of the book that, that Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 makes any sense at all. And what Genesis 3, verse 15 describes is, in a general sense, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Only two. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Generally speaking, when Yahweh tells the devil... Between your seed, he's referring to the spiritually dead, the rebellious, those who remain in the deceived state traced all the way back to Eden. Like Jesus said, those who do not hear and believe the words of the Father, those who do not believe in the promises that Abraham believed, and therefore unlike Abraham will not be justified by faith, those who live their entire earthly lives in darkness, the darkness of the world, away from the light, those who are enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin, their sin nature, those who will die in their sin. And spend all of eternity suffering under the full weight of their sin at the hands of an infinitely holy and righteous God. In other words, all unbelievers since Adam and up to it and including today and to the very end of the world are the seed of the serpent. All unbelievers are spiritual descendants of Satan. Are you an unbeliever here this morning? Let me just ask you straight up: Are you an unbeliever? You're a seed of Satan. Does that sound harsh? It's not coming from my my I'm just telling you what it says. It's very serious. Jesus said, "You are of your father, the devil. You are a, he calls him a a tear, a weed." A goat, a child of wrath like the rest of mankind, seed of Satan. Well, then, who is the seed of the woman? Answer? Those who are made spiritually alive. Okay? Those who have been delivered out of the domain of darkness, those who have been set free by the one who said, I am he. Those whom he has set free from sin, set free from their cursed nature and the enslavement to sin. Those who have been granted spiritual life through the promised seed, who have been delivered from the penalty of their sin and saved from the righteous wrath of a holy God. Those who have been saved to eternal life in his presence where fellowship and communion with him will be fully restored and enjoyed in glory forevermore. That's why this has been called the first gospel. Yeah, this, uh, this is a deliverance and a salvation, a freeing that was accomplished by the power of the specific one who was sent into the world, sent from heaven, yet born of the seed of the woman, born of a virgin. Okay, go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 now. Okay, now, now let's look at it in, in that light. Yahweh God says to Satan, because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put enmity between you two. Eve is now your enemy. But not only Eve, not only this particular woman, but there will be conflict between your seed, your spiritual descendants, all unbelieving men and women throughout the history of the world from beginning to end, and her seed. Her spiritual descendants, all believing men and women throughout the history of the world, starting with Eve and Abel. Now, Abel was killed, right? Who was he killed by? Cain. Cain, who John says in 1 John chapter 3, was of the evil one and slew his brother. But we'll read in Genesis chapter 4, then Adam knew his wife again. She gave birth to a son named him Seth, for she said, God has set for me another seed in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And continuing with Seth, we can see the very real enmity between believers and unbelievers, right? This conflict would, would rage on from Seth, it would continue to the flood as humanity's allegiance to Satan and the rebellion against God would rage on to the point where the evil of man was so great that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Causing Yahweh to wipe out almost everyone out with the flood, but sparing Noah and his family who Satan was also at war with. And Abram and Isaac who had both battled with the evil one and his seed, Jacob. The conflict with Israel, with Jacob. And Judah, Judah from whom the specific seed of the woman would come. The kings, the divided kingdoms. The whole rest of the Old Testament speaks of the struggle and strife between Satan's seed and God's seed, right? Satan's seed and Satan himself were... Warring with the seed of the woman all throughout the Old Testament. And really the primary focus of this seed, Satan's seed, was the attempted stamping out of the messianic line. Right? And they'll get close. Sometimes it'll come down to only one or two people. The line is almost entirely wiped out in Esther, the exiles, captivities. But God would not forsake his people. He would preserve the line of the one whom he would send into this world. The one who would not be conceived of through the seed of Adam, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The one who would be born of the seed of a woman. The one who Satan and his seed would try their hardest to destroy, even when he was literally being born as an infant. You remember the king who would go and kill all the male children, two and under, trying his hardest to kill this child, King Herod? That's a direct fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And Satan was right there, right there whispering in his ear. Revelation 12 says, and the dragon, the great dragon, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. But why? Why would Satan be so desperate to kill this promised seed? The answer is because he knew what God said back in the garden. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, singular, specific, he shall bruise your head. He shall bruise you on the head. Satan knew that if this child was born, it was the beginning of the end for him and his seed. Satan knew this specific seed would not only be the savior of all those whom the father has given to him, but also the sentencer of all who would die in their sin. Satan knew that this specific seed would grow up to be his sentencer as well. This being bruised on the head here or struck on the head is descriptive of a mortal wound, certain death. Whereas the heel being bruised, you will bruise him on the heel, not only describes an attack from behind, but a wound that could be healed, nursed back to health. A strike to the heel can be healed. A strike to the head means you're dead. Satan knew that the Savior had been given ultimate authority to pass sentence of eternal death upon him, which would come to pass as he leads a great army of his seed against the seed of the woman, as John writes. And the devil who deceived them, all the way to the end, he's deceiving people, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And he has done, and will continue to do, right up to the very end, everything in his power to make sure that that doesn't take place, including bruising the Savior's heel nearly 2,000 years ago. How was the Savior's heel bruised or struck? The same children of the devil that Jesus spoke to in John chapter 8 would end up plotting against him. They would attempt to turn all of Israel away from him. They would arrest him. They would hold a mock trial in the dead of night. They would Listen to the testimony of a slew of false witnesses. They would strike him. They would spit upon him. That always sits funny with me. Have you ever been spit in the face? Has somebody ever spit in your face? They would strike him, spit upon him, condemn him to death for blasphemy. They would deliver him over to the hands of lawless men, more of Satan's seed, as they mocked him, as they paid false homage to him, as they beat him and scourged him and rammed a crown of thorns into his head, as they made him carry a Roman cross up to his place of execution, that place where they would then nail him to the cross, piercing both his hands and his feet, That, that place where in sheer agony and exhaustion he would hang on that cross as passersby mocked him and hissed at him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him now come down from that cross and we will believe in in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if if he delights in him. He said, I am the son of God. We're casting lots for his clothes. And he's hanging there looking at them all. Till his lungs collapsed under the weight of his own body. His own brutalized body. Till that moment he would cry out, it is finished. He would bow his head and he'd breathe his laugh. As he would pay the ultimate sacrifice. As he would make the ultimate sacrifice. In order that all that the Father gave to him, all those whom he had called before the foundation of the earth, all who would like Abraham hear that call, hear his word, hear his voice, would then, like Abraham, be justified by faith alone as the Savior would take the place of and bear the full penalty of sin for all who would believe. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. Amen? As, as he would be spiritually separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity so that all who truly believe in him, all who came before him, and all who came after him would never have to be. Thus fulfilling his own words, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. I am he he will bruise you on the head you will bruise him on the heel it's at this moment satan lifted up excuse me it's at this moment lifted up on this roman cross that his heel was indeed bruised by satan his heel was bruised but it was bruised for a purpose to fulfill this prophecy in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 his heel was bruised he he died a sinner's death he He was taken down from that cross. He was placed in an empty tomb. His heel was bruised. However, this was no mortal wound, for he would be triumphantly raised from the dead three days later, having been vindicated by his Father in heaven, having conquered both sin and death for his people, having conquered the power of Satan. As he set the captives free, free from the bondage of their own sin natures that we inherited from Adam, free from eternal wrath and eternal death, All those whom he would make alive together with him. All those whom he would grant life, life, eternal life in his presence. A day that all true believers can look forward to together. Amen? Amen. 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 Having said that, in the meantime, I can't think of any better question to ask all of you this morning than this. Whose seed are you? whose seed are you? There are only two options. Are you the seed of Satan or are you the seed of the woman? Are you a spiritual descendant of the devil or of the woman? Through her seed, God's Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I be sure, someone says. Well, do you believe the promises of God? Including this first promise here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Jesus' own words, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that? The son of man, the son of God, God in human flesh sent into this world by his father. Do you believe him when he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that... Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God? Do you believe the word of God and abide in the word of God? Do you believe in the promises of God? Have you been born again? Because the old man ain't going to cut it. Have you been made alive together with Christ, Jesus Christ, who is the only way to the Father? Whose line are you a descendant of? That's what I'm asking you. Satan, the father of lies, the father of all the dead? Or Eve, the mother of all the living? Who do you belong to as you sit in that chair this morning? I trust and pray that... You've come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and if you're not absolutely certain of this, I would would implore you to hear his call this morning through his word, to cry out to him, to beg him to make you one of his, to cause you to be one of his, to put his spirit within you, to wash you in the precious sin-atoning blood of Christ, to deliver you from the power of the evil one, to deliver you from the the bondage of guilt and sin, to deliver you from the fear of death. I would implore you to cry out to ask him to save you from an eternity apart from his love and hell forever. I implore you to cry out for salvation which comes by grace alone through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. implore you to do so this moment if you never have. For those who know they are truly his, for those who know they belong to him, I would invite you now to sing praises to his holy name for what's been done for you through the Lord Jesus Christ and his fulfillment of such a magnificent promise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's have Noel and the music team come up and they'll close us in musical worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again for the time that you've allowed us to spend together under the instruction of your holy and inspired word. We are truly grateful that we can take refuge in you, our mighty fortress, that, that we need not fear this ancient foe because we do have the right man on our side. We thank you for this perfect plan of redemption, this first promise of the gospel, It's just a delight to be your children. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.